Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. All right, guys, I am pumped. I got two awesome guests here coming from St. Louis, and I don't even know where Rachel's coming from. She'll tell us in a second, but uh, hunkered down, coronavirus style, but still podcasting it up. Jason Roberts and Rachel Schneider, thanks for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having us, man. Cool. So I guess first off, let's just, where the heck are you guys right now? Well, I'm at our office in St. Louis, outside of St. Louis, and uh, Rachel, I'll let you explain where you're at. I am at this place called Cloud9 Ranch. So we come here pretty much every summer holiday and camp here, and you can ride ATVs and UTVs, and so we decided to come down here and live in isolation for a little while. Sounds awesome. I feel like everyone's living in isolation, but you're like doing it the right way. So. Yeah, we're trying yeah, to make it an adventure out of it. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. So, uh, why don't you kind of give us a you know high level of what you guys do? It sounds like you've been at this for like 18 years, building a like a flipping business. Yeah, so I guess we started in real estate. Uh, Rachel and I opened a mortgage company when we were young. I was 21 years old. It was kind of kind of on accident, on a whim. I didn't really know what I was doing. The restraints were a lot easier back then, and that kind of on a whim project grew into a, a really big company. You know, we had close to 100 employees at one point. Um, we were the number one rural housing lender in the state of Missouri. So I mean, we uh, we grew big and made a lot of money and, and brought in a lot of revenue. Uh, we were certainly a slave to that business. I mean, we were there from 5.30 in the morning till midnight most days. So we traded a lot of life away for uh, in exchange for dollars, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. Um, but, you know, we definitely subscribe to that dream that if we work really, really hard right now, then someday we can, you know, have this freedom and have this awesome quality of life, only that someday didn't come for us. You know, 07 came. Just, which is not extremely unlike what we're seeing right now to a degree. It definitely felt that way in 07. You know, we came in and we, we just couldn't do our job anymore. It didn't matter how hard we wanted to work. We couldn't we couldn't fund or originate loans. And we uh, we lost a lot of money. You know, we lost 70, 80 grand a month for about two and a half years until we were busted, man. I mean, I filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy. I had my own house foreclosed on, cars repossessed, you know, pretty much the, the whole bit. And it was during that time, I guess, in October 2010, that we went to this four-day short sale boot camp that my, uh, my now mentor, or was mentor, uh, was putting on. I didn't know him at the time. But we spent four days just basically learning what his recipe was for real estate investing. And, and we just took a million pages of notes and copied down you know, exactly what that guy was, his blueprint, basically, um, of what he was doing on a daily basis to close the types of deals that he was closing. And our, our very first year was 2011. We did 111 houses. And Whoa, you know, wait, hold we, on. Uh, just, just pause me there. So your yeah. first year, you, when you say you did 111 houses, you, you flipped 
111 houses in your first year of flipping houses? Our, our very first year, man. Um, That's a shit ton of houses. Can we just? So, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a lot of houses, man. And, and we were busy. It started out, you know, Rachel and I, I mean, we were broke, man. Um, I mean, no joke. We were, you know, laying, uh, we're not together. She's at her house. I'm at mine. Um, you know, we're looking, <laughs> looking envelopes making outbound phone calls on our cell phone. And uh, I mean, we didn't even really have money for, for that much mail to go out, but we were broke, man. I mean, we were, we, we weren't going to eat, you know, it's amazing what desperation does for, for motivation. That's amazing. So you, you, you build up a mortgage business. What sounds like a very successful business. It completely collapses to a value of zero. You basically go bankrupt, or I guess you do go bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Then in year one of a new business that you had no background in, I mean, I guess you knew how loans and financing work, which is helpful, but uh, you did 111 flips. I don't even know what to say. That's incredible <laughs> by itself. You definitely sound like you're kind of one of those guys, kind of like me. You're like, if you're going to do something, you're kind of all in on it. And, and girl, is that, uh, is that accurate description of you guys? That's absolutely who we are. Like we don't, that hustle period, like when you're first starting something or trying something, that's totally us. We go 100% in. Um, I would say that's very impressive, but we were slaves to that business, right? Like in order for us to do 111 loans, it was a grind every single day. We needed to do it at that time. I would never do that today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I, you know, I've, I've heard, I, I'm sure you guys know the Life and Air crew, and I, you know, and I know their story, and I'm sure we'll get into your, your systems of how you were able to create wealth and success, but also trim it down. But I, one of my fundamental beliefs is, and, and you guys can object to this if you don't agree, I think you have to go through that like hustle part of your life. And, and I, I feel like some people disagree with this. Some people say like, no, you don't. And I say like, I guess if you're, Albert Einstein, maybe you don't, but like, I, I think there's something about that period that allows you to, in a very short amount of time, just learn a lot about yourself and about industry and business that you kind of cram in a bunch of years into a short amount of time. I don't know. That's just my own opinion. And that allows you to kind of elevate yourself to the next level. Um, but let me pause. What Do you agree? Like, do you think you could have ever been here without the hustle stage of your life? Man, I, the answer to your question is, for us, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think we could because the reason why we did 111 houses our first year in real estate wasn't because we were masters of real estate investing. Obviously, we were brand new. It was because we had spent the last 10 years figuring out how to run a successful business. And that is duplicatable, right? The end, it doesn't really necessarily matter. To me, it doesn't matter the product. I mean, my girlfriend owns a medical spa and, and just from what we've leaned in there, I mean, she was working 80 hours a week when I met her and now she's working 10 or 15. And I'm not saying, Hey, look at me. She did the work. Right. But you learn things from that sacrifice that unless you're just really good at listening to a mentor and, and uh, blindly trusting, which most people, most of the time we have to learn the hard way ourselves. Right. Um, so my answer to your question is, I don't think there's any way we could have done that had we not put in the time to, to learn how to really successfully run a business unless we were just blindly trusting our uh, our mentor, which some people can do, but that's probably not me. Yeah, I, I agree. The other thing I, I often talk on these podcasts about is like, I had this, this kind of theory of like, there's something to life about just putting up a lot of shots. You know, I always say like, I'm not 
the best shooter, but I'm going to take more shots than most people. And yeah. over time, you become a better shooter, I guess, right? Yeah. And so you, can, you don't have to take as many shots, but until that day, like, I'm just going to take more shots than other people. And my shooting percentage might be the same, but we're going to kind of learn as we go. And uh, I think that's, that's been really interesting. So it seems like you're in similar boat. So, okay. So talk to me how you do a hundred flips that year. That's amazing. Talk to me. About, I, I want to really hone in on this, this thought you have, which is you think eventually someone could be successful in real estate by working 20 hours a week, by really adhering to systems. Talk me through some of those systems that you think are so important and maybe in particular ones that you think that people don't, like they kind of undervalue or underutilize? I think that we learned about systems that was an area where I think delegation and systems, we failed in our first business in the mortgage industry. And, it, and to your point of taking a lot of shots, that's exactly what we did that first year. And so it allowed us to see holes in our business really, really quickly in areas where we were wearing all of these hats, right? And is this the hat that I have to be wearing? Is this the highest and best use of my time? And so that second year, we really were able to start delegating out things in the business. And so a lot of the systems for us is, you know, virtual assistance is something as far as our real estate investing business that we utilize across the board and everything that we can do a really good crm automates so many of you know our marketing is laid out in there and automated in there our email campaigns are automated in there ours even has its own ringless voicemail system in it not to say that you're going to find a crm that you love everything about it, right? I don't think that those probably exist, but finding one that encompasses the majority of the things that you need to utilize, and then maybe you have something else that complements it. But our CRM really has been crucial in our investing business, I would say. And, and even our event business, the CRM that we utilize is, is crucial. So I think that's my number one thing. And people underestimate the value of a good CRM, I think. Um, the, I, I don't know if it becomes overwhelming, but take the time to get that training on it because I, a good CRM, I think, can, can rid you of a lot of responsibility in your business. What CRM do you guys use? We conveniently use REI Blueprint CRM. Oh, um, so it's your, it's your you guys it's our own? own? Yeah. You, you built the CRM. We, we went to one of the probably bigger, biggest CRM, real estate CRM companies in the country, which is REI Blackbook. And uh, if you're familiar with them, and we paid a bunch of money and basically had it white labeled to our own business. So this is great, but we wanted to do this because we do probate marketing. So we need this functionality and we do short tail marketing. So we need this functionality and we do um, evictions or local banks or whatever. So we basically took our modules, paid them, you know, paid them a good amount of money and had their programmers go in and tailor it to do exactly what we do in our investing business. Cool. So you're not actually, you didn't have to actually build a code, but it is a, like a branch, I guess, of their kind of main structure kind of customized to you guys. That's exactly right. Yep. Well, that's pretty cool. Way to bury the tagline. That is, yeah, right. do a lot of people do this? Or are you guys one of the, you're the first people I've ever talked to that have like customized and created their own 
CRM off of someone else's like code base? Does this I, don't, a I don't think a lot of people do. Um, I think a lot of people go, grow very frustrated with a CRM not meeting their needs. And right. then they go out and spend a bunch of money and on seven different things and then they don't ever organize them or manage them. And so then it's never properly utilized. Yeah. And we come from a strong um, short sale background and a CRM is crucial, even just from notes and calendars. Like it, it's a must, especially if you're running with a large file load. And so it, it is, you know, in our real estate investing business, if it's not in the CRM, then it didn't happen. So our automatic was we have to go and get something created or we're going to spend probably over time just as much money, but the level of frustration of trying to make seven different ones work, it, it for us, it wasn't worth it. Now, even to this day, it doesn't do every single thing, but it does most of what we need it to do. That's awesome. I'm going to ask a crazy question here. Give me an estimate of how much time you think you spent on the setup of the CRM. So not, you know, not day to day, like making calls and implementing stuff, but like the, cause I, I have a feeling like most people in real estate are not super techie. Well, I know that for a fact, they're not into systems. They'd rather be out doing stuff. And so I have a feeling they under appreciate the amount of time it takes to set up systems to run your business. Give me like some ballpark. Uh... Man, you, that, that's a great question because this is, this is so on point with so much of what we see is, you know, Rachel and I came from the mortgage world where, you know, you're using uh, Ellie May or, you know, the, the CRMs that exist, Calix Point or whatever, that, that exist in the mortgage world are multi-million dollar CRMs, like everything has to happen in those programs, right? I mean, you order funds from those programs, you fund loans from them. I mean, it, everything runs on that. So it was just built into us that, that that's the lifeblood of our business. So when we flipped over, you know, we also knew how, what, what it cost to employ somebody to make changes with that. And my brother's in the mortgage business and they have two or three full-time tech people that do nothing but just work on their CRM. I mean, that's their only job is to, is to work on the CRM on a daily basis. It's crazy. But for whatever reason, you know, in, in the real estate world, and I guess it's, it's just because most people haven't been exposed to it, but you don't just pay, you know, 97 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month for a CRM and it just magically works, right? Um, right. Even, even if you're using a Podio or something like that, like a lot of the guys that, that we work with, I mean, they're, there's several thousand dollars into the setup of their, of their podio system, which is, you know, essentially what we did too. So I, I think, under, you know, going into it, understanding, you know, in my opinion, even with Salesforce, you know, Salesforce was probably the biggest CRM in the world, um, not real estate specific, just sales specific. And it doesn't just work out of the box. You know, if you want it to, to work right, you're going to, you're going to pay a, programmer several thousand bucks more than likely to unless or you spend countless hours of your own time but hire an expert pay them a couple thousand bucks and tell them exactly what you wanted to do and, and how you want it to look and save yourself uh could you give folks years. a tangible i think you know sometimes people you hear crms be thrown around i think sometimes investors <laughs> have a hard time especially newer investors have a hard time understanding so what's that actually do for me could you maybe just throw out a, like a really tangible example of like 
maybe something in your business that you've been able to automate that's that's really nuanced that the CRM has really helped, um, you know, close that extra deal or whatever? Our probate campaign. Um, so our marketing that we teach around that, it's not, it's not a one-time touch, right? That's a type of of investing strategy where they may not be ready the first time that I reach out to them. So, so that's a campaign. We hit them every six weeks for a certain amount of time. And the CRM in regards to that specific marketing module, I load that data in and it tells me like we pull our stuff on Mondays, right? So it will tell me 323 probate marketing. And now it sets up the next four letters that have to go out, it, it knows the time frame for all of that. So it will send a reminder six weeks from 323 saying, hey, letter two for 323, uh, marketing needs to get sent out and you need to send a letter to the attorney as well or push an email out to the attorney. You know, once I, once I mapped out my whole probate campaign inside that CRM, now I tag it with that and it just becomes its own calendar, right? Because imagine how complicated that is to have all of that sitting on a calendar somewhere. This completely takes care of it for me. And in regards to like closing more deals, absolutely. Because I know that most investors, they do a one touch marketing and then they're done, right? Um, this allows me to make sure that I'm doing that, which is what Jason and I teach from a, from a marketing standpoint is this multi-touch lead exhaustion because my first attempt and their first no is not really no, right? That follow-up is where I'm really closing probably 60% of my deals. Yeah. Um, this allows me to ensure that my follow-up stays on point, stays on time, and I don't have the stress of thinking about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I don't, by the way, I don't know anything about probate marketing. Um, it sounds really cool. But I guess just, and for folks maybe also don't know anything about probate marketing, I guess what it sounds like to me is there's a series of steps as something goes through the probate process and kind of calendar. And so it sounds like kind of having an organized touch point of each of those steps is probably really helpful. Is that, is that fair? Process, right? This is someone who's inherited a property. And so at times there's a court process where they can't sell the home yet, but then there's also the psychology of emotionally, they may not be ready. And so hitting them at those certain times is extremely important for a campaign like that as well. Yep. Cool. Okay. Can we, can we shift here a second to talk about the elephant in the room, Mr. Corona elephant. So obviously a, a life changing event for, I have to imagine everyone in the country at this point, you know, how are you guys approaching not so much in six months from now, but what does April look like for you? Like, how are you guys thinking about that from a business perspective? So one of the reasons we were able to, in my opinion, able to close 111 houses our first year is because we marketed to people differently. You know, like every seminar, course, uh, RIA workshop that you've been, I mean, uh, a lot of the education, it's great. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, but a lot of it is guys that have been teaching this stuff for 10, 15, 20 years, and, and they're teaching what's always worked for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my thought behind it was, you know, the direct mail response rate is 1%. Surely we can do something that does better than 1%. And 
we live in a different age now. I mean, things are drastically different. The way people receive communication today is significantly different than they did 10 years ago. So, you know, we were sending an inbox message to people on Facebook. We were skip tracing and sending them messages through social media, through their email, through uh, ringless voicemail, through text messaging, through all these different platforms that you know, today, if you wanted to get a hold of me, you wouldn't mail me something. You would shoot me a text. Um, you probably wouldn't email me because I'm not a big emailer. Uh, but you could probably send me a Facebook message or a text, and I'm much more likely to respond than the mail. Well, why aren't we marketing in that way? Yeah. And because we marketed in that way, we experienced a, a 10 or 15% response rate as opposed to one. So to tie that into your question, I think that we have to look at – where we stand today with this coronavirus stuff and say, how can we, how can we reach sellers where they're at? How can we communicate? You know, I have coaching students that live in Louisiana, but their real estate business is in Baltimore and they did it out of necessity because they had a sick family member. But what they proved to themselves is that they can run a real estate business in Baltimore through Skype and zoom meetings like this. And so couldn't we do that? And they've been doing that for years, not just because of coronavirus. They've been doing it for five or six years now. But couldn't we, couldn't we do that same thing right now? What's, what's to stop us from talking to a seller and having them switch to FaceTime and walk us around the house? What's to stop us from you know, using email or a web meeting to present a contract or an offer and review it with them in real time? You know, most people have a computer in their home or a tablet or, or something that would allow us to, we don't have any other choices. So I think we have to adapt, right? Like if, what if this was the way it was going to be forever? I know it's not, but what if it was, we would figure out a way to do business, right? Realtors would figure out a way to do listings. Rachel Long would just live to, in the campground in the clouds, that's right. wherever she is that's right, right now. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she would do that. <laughs> I love that. I, I think one of the things I love with that answer is, I don't hear any like, woe is me from the answer. Um, something tells me you guys were kind of born with a adaptability. And when a crisis comes, whether it's bankruptcy or Corona, you know, your response is let's find the next best alternative to succeed. I think that is, is awesome. And if maybe if our listeners take nothing else from that, I think that's really powerful. I want to, I want to also ask you, are you thinking about, so obviously the, there's part of this, which is you can't be face to face, but there's also a part of it, which is there's like a lot of pain in the world right now, financial pain, uncertainty. I would have to imagine your scripts and what you're saying to people I have to imagine it's totally changed, right? I mean, you can't talk to people the same way you did a month ago. All of our messaging changed. So we do a lot with ringless voicemail, which is your phone never rang, but you got this voicemail, right? And we've switched all of that up because we need to acknowledge where everyone's at, right? And acting as if it didn't and going on as normal doesn't do anything for us. And so all of that messaging has changed. Our letters have changed. Every, our Facebook messages, everything has changed. One thing though, and, and for some people, it's like, that's a lot of work. Not really. You need to tweak it, right? You need to add a sensitivity of, considering in the world that we're living in today, you know, a lot of people's situations have changed. But the second thing we did after we changed that messaging 
was go back to the last several months worth of leads as well as people who had told us no and remarketed to every one of them because everybody who said oh we're gonna fix this house up ourselves we're gonna rent this house we're gonna hang on to this we're gonna list it with a real estate agent for some of them that decision has changed because of where we're at and i'm not saying this from a take advantage of anyone i'm saying this from a point that people are uncertain they are fearful and instead of what they thought they were going to do like spend money on rehabbing and they've never done a rehab before we all know how that will end up right or listening it listing it with a real estate agent and i'm not saying the market's not moving because i've got students selling houses you know what i mean everyone selling houses every day still but the psychology of the seller is different today and so it's an opportunity for you to be that person to help them when they don't want a bunch of people running through their house for an open house they want to deal with one person in and out so follow up on all those leads that you didn't appropriately maybe follow up on the first time switch that messaging up for the sensitivity level but outbound calls people are so fearful of those you've got something in common with everybody right now we all do right yeah yeah no I, I love that uh there's a lot you hit there i love obviously everyone's life has changed so someone who didn't want to work with you a couple months ago it's a different situation now number one and when situations change business changes who you want to work with changes i love the idea of someone being able to sell a house without having an, an open house and that kind of stuff that's really interesting and I also uh, write on the money there from just from a, from a pure sales perspective. Anytime you can kind of jive with someone and have some similarities, that helps. Obviously, everyone's uh, dealing with this in a different way, but that's awesome. I have a very tactical question. Would you still sit, pay the same price for a property that you would have paid three months ago? Or are you guys like lowering your prices now for fear that the resale value might have changed? It, it remains to be seen what value is going to do. What I know right now is that, yes, houses are still selling, but showings are way down, you know, the amount of people that are out looking to buy a home. So a, a couple of things. One, find your, your you know, if you're a wholesaler or if you're trying to flip the home, you know, find the serious investors in your area. They're still buying. They, they, didn't, they didn't stop. As a matter of fact, one of the people in, in one of our groups owns one of, the, one of the bigger printing companies for investors in the country. And she said in the last 30 days, her top five mailing clients have spent more money like in this last week since coronavirus started, they've quadrupled down on their marketing efforts, basically. That her point was they've, they've spent more money, her top five clients have spent more money since this coronavirus start than the last 90 days of all of her clients combined. And it's not a small shop, it's a big shop. So if you can understand the numbers of that, what that says to me is that the biggest players in this industry are, are seeing now as an opportunity, not, not, a, not a time to, to hide or, or to, like you said, to not take action. They're seeing it as a time to take action. And like Rachel said, not, not from a place of taking advantage of people, but your motivation does change. You know, you thought you needed to sell your house in 30 days because you were job transferring or something else. The MLS may not be your, be your answer to that now. Yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. As long as on the flip side, you think you can still sell the house in three months, right? 
our numbers are different. I am yeah. naturally very conservative. You can tell the difference in our personalities, right? But I'm naturally very conservative, but the market we started in was going down every day, right? Not every day, but right, literally, if you were to yeah. look at it, it, it was declining. And so I came from a place of evaluating a deal from a very safe zone and we do lending all over the country. And I know what uh, the majority does is best case scenario. This is what the after repair value is for this house. And so I'm going to say to everyone that deal doesn't feel right. That deal is skinny. Do not do it right now. You use worst case scenario numbers to come up with what your after repair value is, which means if I'm the nicest house on the street by far, I am still going to use the price per square foot for the home that was middle of the road, right? Because if there is a drop, I'm pretty safe that my home will still sell for what that middle of the road number was instead of that highest number like this is where we need yeah. to be conservative or you will get yourself in trouble yeah i think that makes a ton of sense because you just don't know you don't know how long this will last or how painful it will be and so right you know if you're buying a house that you're going to flip and you're going to sell in four months the good news is hopefully in four months you know people are able to go out and do showings and stuff but it's, it's got to be, it's, it's, I feel like you need a crystal ball to project what the real estate market looks like in four months. So the best way to do it is just be, you know, be sensible that if there's a 10% drop, if there's a 15% drop, you're not, you know, in trouble, basically. Yeah. And that huge rehab, are you really right on your numbers? Because if you're not, if you can't switch the rehab up a little bit, save that deal for somebody else. Yeah. Cool, guys. Well, look, this has been really interesting. It's been awesome spending time with you guys. So we didn't really talk about it. You guys host an event. You guys do a bunch of coaching. I guess give me like the one to two minute of that, what that looks like if people are interested in it or and, and also how, how they get in touch with you because just tons and tons of experience here that I'm sure a ton of people will, will want to kind of get to know you better. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, we um, we started REI Blueprint probably about five, six years ago. And, you know, we never really intended to go out and teach. We were part of a mastermind group. And most of the people in this mastermind group own these things called RIAs, Real Estate Investor Associations. And we had never heard of those before. Uh, we didn't even know what it was. You know, we just started flipping houses and didn't really know about all the resources that were out there. And a lot of these groups, asked us to come kind of speak and share how we, how we did 111 houses. So we did, and people started doing what we taught them to do and their lives started changing. And, and we saw an opportunity, you know, real estate is great, but I, I don't think Rachel or I felt like it was a vehicle, right? It was something that allowed us to spend a little amount of our time that allowed us to live the quality of life that we wanted to live. And it's pretty cool to be able to, to share that with others. So we, we started teaching three and four day short sale boot camps because that's where we started was in the short sale world. And um, that has morphed into uh, all different types of trainings that we do. Our, our biggest one is a three day real estate investing training. So we, we cover the five stages of how to make money flipping a house. You know, one is marketing, two is deal evaluation, three is the homeowner appointment, four is exit strategies, and five is how to find the money. And we spend three days walking, you know, newbie investors to extremely experienced investors through that entire process of start to finish and, and really 
leave somebody with a blueprint. The reason why we called it blueprint is because the education that we found and the market was, it was good, but there was always something missing. There was always like, okay, but what do we do next or what do we do here? And so we wanted to create a a step-by-step blueprint that somebody that had never done real estate investing before in their life could just pull it out of the box and copy it. So we do those events all around the country, usually uh, three to five of those a year. That's awesome. All are they all in St. Louis or we move all around the country. So um, yet, well, uh, until coronavirus, um, we have a Milwaukee, Wisconsin event planned this year. We have an Atlanta, Georgia event planned this year. We have uh, North Carolina. Is that right, Rachel? North Carolina, and then I, I feel like we have more. But yeah, we we move around the country. That's awesome. What's a good way to see the latest and greatest of where you'll be? Uh, is there like a, is it reiblueprint.com or something like that? It is reiblueprint.com or our uh, Facebook page is reiblueprint. So either one of those, you can see our event schedule and where we're going to be and, and would love uh, whoever has it on their heart to join us. We would love to, to have you. That's awesome, man. And we originally had an event scheduled for next weekend. So I hear you on uh, Corona changing event plans uh, day by day, but uh, we are fingers crossed um, end of June. We'll be holding that event. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Hey guys, this is awesome. Really cool. Catching up, obviously a little bit uh, different talking to someone in a car. I don't know if you guys caught that. Rachel is literally in a car in some campground where she can't get coronavirus. And uh, Jason's basically all by himself in a office complex. I'm sitting here in our Lancaster Hive co-working space and there's not much co-working going on. It's just me today. So this is uh, a little unique, but uh, thanks so much for joining us here in the Real Estate Hackers podcast. And uh, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. You too. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks for joining us today. I have one more request. If you like this show, could you just please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? I'd really, really appreciate it so more investors can hear about us. Follow us at Real Estate Hackers on Instagram if you're cool like my wife. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up. Maybe we'll get you on this show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.